Welcome to another podcast by Dr. Dennis Smith, Senior Pastor of Covenant Life Ministries. To find out more, go to lifeandfocustv.com. The word immerse means to dip, to submerge, to be involved completely. It means to bury. It means all in. Immerse means all in. Say those two words with me. All in. Now, I don't play poker and I'm not really familiar with it, but some of you might be a little bit familiar with it. And when somebody is playing poker and sit around the table and they've got all their chips there to side to have, and they believe that, that they have the hand that can win, then they take it and they slide everything to the center of the table and they say, I'm all in. So when we talk about immerse, I want you to focus on those two words. What does it mean to be all in? Now, we saw that last week when we talked about baptisms and specifically water baptism, we said that the word baptize comes from the Greek, the Greek word baptizo, which means to dip or to immerse. So let's take a look this morning at what the Bible says about baptisms, plural, and what it means to be all in. Now, to some people this is a little confusing because there's a lot of different ideas and teachings, especially when you start talking about baptism or baptisms. Now, some of what I share this morning is going to maybe seem a little bit theological to some, maybe a little bit technical to some, but I want it to be just as, just as uh, strong and basic and easy for all of us to understand. There are some things that God wants to show us as we talk about baptism. Now, let, let me first of all point you to one mention of the word baptism found in the book of Ephesians. So go with me in your Bible if you have it, or I think it'll be up on the screen. To Ephesians chapter 4, and we're looking. I want to go all the way back. I, I, I could use just verse 5, but I, I think that the, the entire five verses are so good, I want us to go to them from verse 1 of Ephesians 4. And um, Paul is fervently exhorting the people to lead a life worthy of their calling in Christ. And verse 2 always be humble and gentle. Now, Consider that this is Paul's, now it's inspired by God. It's, it's God's inspired word. But when the church there in Ephesus received it, it was a letter sent from the apostle Paul. And that's how they saw it. I think they saw it as a word of the Lord through Paul. But let's hear it as a word to us this morning as his church. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. And one uh, translation says, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, 
just as you've been called to be one glorious hope, called to be a part of one glorious hope for the future. Look at verse five. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now, I believe that that's true, but that verse right there has become a, uh, a source of, of uh, confusion for some and contention for others when what does he mean when he says, all of us that are followers of Christ have one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Paul here is simply reminding the believers that regardless of their background and their nationality, whether they're Jews or Gentiles, that they're all one in Christ. It meant that they were all in together. Now, when you study the scriptures, when you study the Bible, you find several uh, instances where the word baptism is mentioned. There are several baptisms mentioned in the scripture. One of them, you go all the way back to the Old Testament and you find that there is, uh, this is mentioned in Exodus chapter 14, but Paul actually talks about it in 1 Corinthians Chapter 10, verse 1 and 2. Look at that. Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that our fathers were under cloud and they all passed through the sea, verse 2, and they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. An interesting picture there as the people of Israel were being delivered, set free from their bondage in Egypt. They came to the Red Sea and supernaturally it parted and they walked through on dry ground. But you can imagine the wall of water that must, the walls of water on either side, both sides. And as they walked through there, there must have been a, a spray from the, from the water that was hitting them. And, the, and they were experiencing these, these uh, uh, clouds of uh, spray and the high walls of the water as they walked through. And Paul refers to this as a baptism because it's a tremendous picture of the fact that they were going from slavery to freedom. They're going from their old life to a new life following Moses. So it's a tremendous picture of baptism and it's referred to as baptism or the baptism of Moses. Uh, in the scriptures, there's also mentioned the baptism of John. You read about it in, in Matthew uh, and also in, in Mark. In Mark chapter 1 verse 4, it talks about the fact that there was one who came, talking about John the Baptist, and he preached repentance. And he preached for the people to turn away from their wicked way and to repent and be baptized in water, expecting the coming of, of the arrival of the Messiah. So it was like, get your life right. I'm preparing and making the way. The Messiah is on his way. It was a baptism of repentance. And later on, when uh, Paul went to the church of Ephesus in uh, the book of Acts, chapter 19, he talked to some of the people there and he asked them about their faith and he asked them if they'd been baptized. He says, well, we've been baptized. We've had John's baptism. We've had the baptism of repentance. And he shared with them further or more completely the word of the gospel that Jesus Christ died for them, that through him now they could have forgiveness their sins and a new life, that he was the Messiah, that he'd come and given his life for them. And as he shared with that, the word more clearly and perfectly, then he baptized them in the name of the Lord, water baptism. So there is what is termed the baptism of repentance, the baptism of John. We also find the account as we read last week 
the baptism of Jesus. When John was baptizing people in the water, Jesus approaches them. John says, Behold the Lamb of God that comes to take away the sins of the world. And Jesus comes in and says, I want you to baptize me. Uh, John has a little problem with that. He says, I'm not worthy to baptize you. You need to baptize me. I, I mean, uh, you know, he didn't understand at all why the Messiah, the promised Messiah, would need to be baptized in water. He certainly doesn't need to repent because he hasn't sinned. So we talked about the reasons why Jesus was baptized last time. If you, we won't go into that, you can go back and listen to the message online and get that. But Jesus was baptized in the water, and that's referred to the baptism of Jesus. You read about it in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 through 17. Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me. But Jesus said, Permit or allow it to be so, for thus it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness, to do the right thing, to set the example. And then, uh, then he allowed uh, for his baptism. Verse 16, And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And suddenly, verse 17, a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Then there's reference in the scripture to what is termed the baptism of the cross. The baptism of the cross. In Matthew chapter 20, there's a story of James and John, two brothers, and actually their mother was involved in this too, as they came and, and their request was, Jesus, when you come into your place of authority and kingdom, want one of us, Lord, to be on your right hand and one to be on the left in place of, of, of power to rule along with you. And Jesus said, you don't really know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking. He says, are you able to drink from the same cup that I drink? Are you able to be baptized with the same baptism that I'm baptized with? They didn't understand. But they said, sure, yes, we are. And then he prophetically, Jesus shared the word, prophetic word that says, that's right. Indeed, you will be baptized with the same baptism. And you will you will suffer. In other words, you will drink from the bitter cup and you'll be baptized with the same baptism. What happened to them? They were martyred because of their faith in Christ. But he says, you know, I can't give to you as to who will be on the right hand or left. That's not for me to give, he says. An interesting account of what's referred to as this baptism of the cross, which is persecution and death for faith in Christ. <coughs> Then the Bible talks about a baptism of fire. The baptism of fire. Now one of the places we find it mentioned in the New Testament is in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, where John says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. He will baptize you with what? With the Holy Spirit and fire. To understand this, we need to look at verse 12, because it says he's ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork, a tool used to separate what's not good for the, the, the uh, weeds from the grain. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into uh, a place, burning the chaff uh, with fire. So there would be a division. That, that speaks of, of judgment. And so when it says baptized with the Spirit and fire, there is, uh, there, there, uh, I think attached with this, there's the fact that, uh, that it is referred to as a baptism with fire as a baptism of judgment on those who are not believers. Now, I believe it refers to more than that. 
that the fire is not just referring to judgment of those who are non-believers, which there are other references in Scripture that talks about fire as an act of judgment. So you could readily see that when the gospel is presented and the truth is presented, people have a choice. They can say yes and receive from God and walk in His will and His blessings, or they can say no. And if they continue to say no, the result of that is, of course, uh, as they reject rebel against God, the, re- the result of that is curse, is separation, is judgment. Sin's already been judged on the cross. There's no reason for us to sit to be judged. Now, we will sit before the judgment seat of Christ as to determine uh, the places of our faithfulness and walking in in obedience to the Lord and rewards will be given uh, accordingly. But judgment for sin was placed on Jesus on the cross for those who receive Christ. So when we talk about baptism of fire, it can refer... uh, in one, in one instance, it can refer to the, when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit in fire, that that fire to the believer is something that purifies you or cleanses you or, or reveals things about you to make you move in a, in a state of being more holy and committed to Him. And when you refer to baptism of fire as judgment, then that's pointed toward those who've rejected the gospel, rejected the Holy Spirit, and they will be judged accordingly. Separation of the wheat and the tares, or the wheat and the weeds. So it's, it's an interesting point there, but we'll touch on it in just a second. But here, now here's what I want to center in on for the next very few minutes that I think really apply to us as believers. He's talking about being all in. So I want to follow up from last week and talk about being all in. I want to talk about three baptisms that are for you and me. Three baptisms that are for you and me. The first we refer to as the baptism into the body of Christ, being baptized in the body of Christ. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. And Paul says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Look at verse 13. Some of us are Jews and some of us are Gentiles. Some of us are slaves and some are free. But we all, we all have been baptized into one body by the Spirit and we all share the same Spirit. New King James Version says, for by one Spirit we all were baptized into one body. When people hear the message of the gospel... And when, uh, you know, in order to respond to the gospel and to be born again, we have to, first of all, be aware that we need to be, that there's a need. And so the Holy Spirit plays a role in convincing or showing us that we need help. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible talks about that, we, that, the, Holy, that the Holy Spirit draws us. We call it Conviction. And if you've had times when the Lord has been just speaking to you, maybe during the message or some other time, you know, it can be any time during the week, be through reading certain things or people sharing with you, whatever, and you just sensed that the Holy Spirit speaks, sometimes you're praying and you sense that the Holy Spirit is convicting you about something. Now, we're not talking about condemning you about it. He's showing you where there needs to be change. He's showing you what you need to do. He's convicting you. He's drawing you to where you need to be. That's a wonderful thing. 
Don't resist the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Open yourself up to it. Accept it. Say, yes, Lord, I see that. I'm sorry. I, I see it. I turn. So when we're referring to this first baptism, the baptism into the body of Christ, this is what happens when you come to Christ. This is what happens when you, we use the word get saved. This is what happens when you're born again. When you respond to that call of God and you know that you need Christ as your Savior, when you repent of your past and you believe on Him that He died on the cross for you, He rose from the dead, and you trust Him as your Savior and you surrender your life to Him, all in, all in, then you have a brand new life. And here's what happens. The Holy Spirit that's convicted you and drawn you supernaturally, supernaturally puts you into the family of God, the body of believers. You know when a person joins the church when they genuinely get saved. He puts you in the church. The Holy Spirit puts you in the church. Now it's important to connect to a local church. But it does no good to be a member of a local church if you're not a part of His church. Amen. Place for amen. <coughs> so true. So when we refer to being baptized into, one, into the body of Christ, we're talking about what happens to you when, you when you surrender to Christ, when you get saved. Supernaturally, you're placed into His body. You become one with Him. Isn't that great? I mean, isn't that really great? Yeah. Romans 6, 3 says, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? It's not talking about water. Your old life dead, your new life in Christ. Buried, raised to life. Put into one body. And when Paul said, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, that's the baptism he's talking about. In the context, you'll see that he's talking about this refers to all who have become one in Christ. And how do you become one in Christ? Through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Has nothing to do with being baptized in water. You see that? Do you see that? I didn't ask you what you agree with it. No, I just asked you, do you see it? Do you agree with it? <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, this is something for all of us to study, but I think it makes sense you study the scripture. It happens the moment that you come to Christ. And Romans 8, 9 says, now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. So when you come to Christ, the Holy Spirit, now I can't explain this, but I can tell you that it's true. When you surrendered your life to Christ, your sins were forgiven taken away. You became the righteousness of God in Christ. We're getting on shouting ground here if you were a shouter. You take on the righteousness of God in Christ. You are now in right relationship with God the Father. And you've been joined to His body, to His family. And the Holy Spirit, God, the triune God, one God, three persons, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God Himself and the Holy Spirit came to dwell in you. 
Now, I think if we live with an awareness of the fact that as a believer, the Holy Spirit lives in you, it may change the way we live, talk, think, priority. What about that? When the Bible talks about grieving the Holy Spirit, then you become very aware that perhaps since he, since he dwells in me, have I done some things or said some things that really grieved him, saddened him, quenched, prevented what he wanted to do in my life. So the baptism into the body of Christ happens when you are uh, saved. The moment that you come to Christ. The second baptism for the believer, we taught on it last week, is water baptism. Again, we won't get into specifics of that. But on the day of Pentecost, when uh, Peter began to preach, they were worshiping God and thanking God, supernatural things had happened. And, and Peter is sharing with them about Jesus being killed or, or dying on the cross that they had crucified him, that he was the Messiah. He was their only hope. And you crucified him. And they asked him a question which makes sense. They said, well, what, I'll put it in, I'll put it in our vernacular, when, what in the world are we going to do? What, what, we're gonna, what hope is there? And he said, repent. He said, repent. Each one of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, it gets a little bit muddled here for some when we, we understand, when, when people think that water baptism is synonymous with salvation, or we refer to it as baptismal regeneration, that you must be baptized in water to be saved. We went into some detail last week that that's not true. You don't add any works to your faith. We're saved by grace through faith. Water baptism doesn't save you, but when you are saved, you walk in obedience to be baptized in water. So the little word there says, uh, repent for the forgiveness of your sins. The Greek word there, I think is more accurately uh, translated, repent because of the forgiveness of your sins. It can be, it can be translated either way in the Greek. But I think it's been translated the wrong way in most instances. Repent because you've been forgiven of your sins and be baptized. Now, it's important that people realize that when we are buried with Christ in baptism, this is an outward, water baptism, an outward confession of an inward grace. Something has happened. Water baptism does not Save you. I don't believe the scripture teaches that. Water baptism does not put you in Christ or the church. It puts you in water. And it's an important thing. It represents what you've done. So there is being baptized in the body of Christ happens when you're saved. Once you're saved, become a Christian, then it's important to be baptized in water. It's extremely important. And then there's one final baptism we'll talk about and refer to it as the Holy Spirit baptism or the baptism with the Holy Spirit. 
Some have called it over the years the baptism with the Holy Ghost. And that's what the King James Version uses the term ghost. For some, uh, this kind of has a negative connotation in thinking about God and ghost in the same sentence. But the word ghost there, we would just simply say the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Like the little girl that was around in the older church building and she'd kind of gotten down into the cellar area and everything, looking around, it was dark in there, old church, she got in the back, crawled down and uh, her, her parents came to her and they found her there and said, what in the world are you doing down there? She said, I'm looking for the Holy Ghost. And uh, she, she figured that if there's a ghost, it must be down here in the dark places. So there's, uh, we refer to him, not it. We refer to him. We use the word him in there. We're not being sexist, but we use the word him this, uh, uh, that he is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a thing. He's the third part of the Trinity, triune God. So let's talk about Holy Spirit baptism for just the closing few moments here. Um, first of all, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was promised in many places in the scriptures, promised back in the Old Testament, the book of Joel, chapter 2, where it says, There's coming a day when he pour out his spirit upon all flesh, the young and the old, slave and free. And these supernatural things would happen. In John chapter, uh, in, excuse me, in Luke chapter uh, 3, verse 16, John said, I baptize you with water, but someone who's coming who's greater than I am, and what will he do? He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John 14, 17, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, the Holy Spirit leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him. So what does that tell you? Only the believer, only the believer not the world. The world cannot receive him because they're not looking for him. They don't recognize him. But you know him for he, the Holy Spirit, lives with you and shall be in you. Luke chapter 24, verse 49, the Bible says, Behold, it's what Jesus is saying, I send the promise of my Father upon you. I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. But stay or tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued or clothed or fully equipped with power from on high until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. It's promised. Jesus promised in Acts chapter 1 verse 4 and 5. He said, don't leave Jerusalem until my father sends you the gift he promised. Verse 8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost or the ends of the earth. This is the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is coming. Something, something is coming. I'm sure they just really didn't understand the impact of what he was saying at that time. But he says, wait, wait. This is important. Before you move any further, this is important. You need to be baptized with power. You need to be baptized and be all in when it comes to being Spirit-filled. Now, the promise was manifested. When God promises something, it's true. And it happens. 
when we receive it, when we believe it and walk in it. God's promises are yes and amen. Acts chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, the Bible says, and suddenly, now they'd been there for several days. They had been together there for several days. There were some 120 of them, and they'd been together for several days, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing, mighty, or roaring, violent wind. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues of fire over each one. An amazing occurrence. Just picture for days they've been sitting there. They've been, I think that they've been praying. They've been talking to one another. They, they may have been, you know, they might not have been in one room the entire 20 days, but they were continually coming there and dwelling. And when they were all there, on the day of Pentecost, it was a feast of Pentecost for the Jewish people, is the, is the harvest feast. The day to prepare for harvest. On the day of Pentecost, there came the sound. You don't think about wind having a sound too much. You think about feeling wind, but you don't think about it. It has to be a strong wind a powerful wind for it to have sound. It says there comes a sound of rushing, mighty wind. And they're in this room, this area. And, and I, I've been to the upper room many, 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 many years ago, or, or a reasonable facsimile of in, in Jerusalem there. And it would have been amazing to see this happen in this area. And this wind comes blowing through the area. And then they look at each one gathered there and over them they see this type of, of tongue or, or fire over each one of them. It says as a fire. It doesn't say it's fire. It says as a fire. It appears like flames like fire. How amazing would that have been? How something shook that place. Something happened that changed them forever. Now we said before that the fire part of it for unbelievers can speak of judgment and, and, and being divided from God. But here, when the fire set up on each one of them, the fire represented the presence, the power of God. Do you remember in the Old Testament, the, the people of Israel, that as they traveled, God would, uh, it, was, it was God's GPA for them. It was the fact they had a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And in several instances, you'll find that fire came. When God came, fire came. Fire was cleansing, it was purging, it was refining, but fire represented the power and presence of God. And that's what it represents here. When it sat up on their heads, it was they were experiencing the very presence of God in a powerful way, like they had never experienced it before. It's hard to imagine. But they came out of that room And supernatural things had happened. They came out of that room and they were speaking in other tongues or with languages that they had not learned. And the Bible says they were declaring the greatness of God. And as they worshiped and declared the greatness of God, God began to deal with people's hearts. And people said, man, we, there's something happening and there's always different responses. When God does a mighty work when something amazing happens, there are always different responses to it. I've been in this 50 years and I've seen a lot of different responses. 
There are some who just simply say, whoa, whoa. They back away, whoa, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I've been kind of comfortable where I am in my faith. And my, my, you know, I'm comfortable. Church is pretty much the same always. I, I'm, I'm comfortable where I am. I think I, I'm saved. I think I'm going to heaven. Everything's all right. Well, you're talking about this all in stuff and a different, whoa, that's a different level. I, I'm just not, here's the word. I'm just not real comfortable with that yet. God didn't call you to be comfortable. He called you to be obedient. Yes? yes. <laughs> and then there are some that when these things happen that they can't explain, they get angry. Oftentimes when people don't understand things or they fear them, what do they do? They fight against them. They're afraid of them. They don't understand. How sad is that? That God wants to do something awesome beyond our imagination. He wants to revolutionize, transform us, change us, empower us, and yet we are against it. How sad is that? Listen, God never offered you anything that wasn't good. God never promised you anything except that he would keep his promises if you'll receive that. The baptism with the Holy Spirit is extremely important. So if, if we were to look at like a chronology, and I won't get legalistic about it, but before a person can be baptized with the Holy Spirit, they must first of all be baptized in the body of Christ. They must be believers. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not for unbelievers. It's for believers. So typically, a person will respond and be baptized into the body of Christ. That's what happens when you get saved. After that, naturally, the next step is where, where, where you know, when people get saved, here's what I want to see. When, people, when we begin to see more and more people come to Christ over the next few weeks and months, and when you win people to Christ, we want one of the, and they learn more about the scripture and you share with them, one of the first things we want out of their lips over the first few days after saved is, okay, um, when can I be baptized? Where can I be baptized? That's what happened in Scripture. Now, I want to be baptized. I got saved. Now I get baptized. I don't want people to get saved. Well, we'll just wait a year or two or what. I'm not sure. I'm not in any big hurry. I'm saved. I'm, I, got, you know, I got fire insurance. I'm going to get in heaven. It's not a big deal. Uh, water baptism. Uh, it's good. But we need to get away from that nonchalant attitude about water baptism. Because it is significant for the believer. It's important for us to do that. Should you be here this morning and you have made a confession of your faith and maybe even gone through some type of experience you've termed as water baptism, but it was not meaningful to you, didn't understand the meaning of it, then, then let me challenge you and let me ask you to consider very seriously that, hey, it's time. After all, it's time for me to take the next step in obedience and be baptized in water. I want to be baptized. And let me tell you, it doesn't take long for us to set up and for us to do that. And we plan ahead, we have people, but if, if you, listen, before you leave today, this morning, if the Lord said something about, to you about, you know, this is for you, you need to be, I want you to be baptized. You need to, be baptized. You need to publicly profess your faith in me. Then I want you to come tell me. Before you go home today, I want you to come and say, look, Pastor, will you pray for me? Look at this. I'm ready. I want to take the next step to be baptized in water. And we'll make arrangements for that. It's important. Once you become a believer, it's important for you to see that that's not the end. 
You must be a believer before you can be filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit. But some people, when they came, when they, when they came to Christ and they trusted Him as Savior and, and they were placed in the body of Christ, even before they were baptized in water, they were filled or baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit. They received the baptism of the Holy Spirit immediately after they were saved. In most instances, that's not the case. Because in many cases, people don't even know that this is some experience they can have, that this is something that God has for them. They think, I got saved. I'm going to try to still continue to grow and learn everything, but I got saved, and I got the Holy Spirit when I got saved, so I don't need anything else. That's a lie. Man, we, we continually need more to serve Him. We continually need more of His power and work in our life. At least I do. And I, need, I, agree, I want greater anointing. I want great power. I want... You know, when the Holy Spirit came, you look in the scripture, when there, there was this manifestation of the Holy Spirit, sometimes there were some crazy things that happened. At times the Holy Spirit makes himself known with visible, audible, touchable manifestations. I'm not getting weird here. It just happens. Now people get out and do stupid, ridiculous stuff and so-called religious, spiritual stuff, and there are some flaky people out there. I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about stuff that's real. I'm talking about God himself. We are told that the, the Holy Spirit came in the form of a dove on Jesus. Acts 4, we re, read that when the, there was a, the Holy Spirit came in a certain way that the whole building shook like an earthquake. In Acts chapter 6, it says that Stephen, who was being martyred or stoned, that, that he had on him like the appearance or face of an angel. That was, that was the power of the Holy Spirit on him. Now, I understand that in some sense, the day of Pentecost was a one-time-in-history event. I understand that. We're not trying to duplicate everything that happened on that day. But when you read through the book of Acts, which, how many chapters in the book of Acts? It's a test. Every time to look it up on your phone or in your Bible and... See, how many, how many chapters in the book of Acts? Let me just tell you where we are right now. You are chapter 29 of the book of Acts. You are chapter 29 of the book of Acts. It was never supposed to stop. Miracles didn't stop. The power of the Holy Spirit being in our lives was never stopped. People resisted it. People got away from it. But it never stopped. And he still wants to do those kind of works in our life. We call it the baptism with the Holy Spirit. We sometimes, people demonstrate, they take a glass and they pour it, you know, water in it, partly full of water. Well, now you've received the Holy Spirit. Water, Jesus has come into your heart. It's the Holy Spirit. And then we'll pour that bottle of water full and it running over and we say, now you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And we try to say that represents the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I think it's good that it's running over. I think that's wonderful. You know, our cup runneth over. I think that's a good thing. But if you want to get a picture of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, take that glass out to the ocean and plunge it down underneath the water. That's all in. That's being encompassed and filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Now, I understand if, if, if this is not something you've heard real often or maybe you've heard it and you've had some, some things happen that are a little disconcerting or you didn't understand. Well, I understand that. But I'm not preaching a new doctrine, a new gospel here. 
This is what the scripture says. This work of grace, this powerful anointing and endowment with power of the Holy Spirit is for every one of you. Some of you have already received that, what we term as a baptism of the Holy Spirit. You've been saved and you're baptized in the Holy Spirit and something significant happened in your life. People say, well, how do I get this baptism of the Holy Spirit? How do I get this? How do you get anything from God? How do you receive anything from God? The baptism of the Holy Spirit is no exception. You don't receive everything from God one way, but you receive the Holy Spirit another way. That baptism of the Holy Spirit, no, that's not true. You receive everything from God when you ask by faith. If you sense in your life this morning, look, I need greater power. I, I want this dimension of power. I, I, want this, I want to be all in. I want to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I, 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 down deep inside of me, I know that there's more for me. I know, God, that you have more for me. And as you might say, well, as I heard about this morning, I, I, this, this morning I can see that th th this is something I need in my life. I want this in my life. Then you ask, and you believe what he says, and you receive it by faith, and then you begin to thank him and praise him and expect manifestation in your life. Some people have immediate manifestations of different works or gifts of the Holy Spirit. Some people speak in languages they've never learned before, and that's, that's a little disconcerting, and, and some people have problems with that, but it's in the Scripture. Paul said, don't forbid people to speak in tongues. So, I mean, it, it, it is a supernatural gift of God. It is abused and misused many times, but it is a powerful gift of God that works in many people's lives. It is a gift they have in their life. I consider myself a believer. I consider myself not as some type of fraud or some weirdo out there in the faith. And I've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit a number of years ago. Uh, it's the, there, there are times when you need more fillings. There are times when you need renewal and things. But I experienced this mighty encounter with God. And sometime afterwards, and there were certain manifestations of the power of God and gifts that he put in my life at that time. But it was sometime after that before this thing of, of praying in a language which I had not learned, praying in the Spirit as some people refer to it as, became a part of my life. Now, as I said, I, I don't, this is not something I get out and advertise. I'm not ashamed. I'm not, it's, I'm not, I don't make an issue out of it if whether you are, are uh, this makes you a different class Christian or more spiritual. I don't do that at all. I just thank God for all of his wonderful gifts the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And you can find every one of them mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter, you can read 12, 13, 14. Then they're also in several other places in the scripture. And I believe that once you receive the Holy Spirit and you thank him and praise him for that, he will manifest himself in different ways. And Jesus says, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you'll receive power. And I believe one of the greatest manifestations of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, you will have a new anointing and power and release in your life. And 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that you can have all these supernatural gifts and to speak with tongues of men and angels, but you don't have love. It's worthless. So I believe one of the evidences of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a supernatural anointing of love, an overflowing love. When John Wesley described his encounter that's referred to as, we refer to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they refer to his entire sanctification in, in, in that particular 
uh, teaching. And when that happened, he said something happened to him to where he could not feel that he could even stand any longer because it was like liquid love pouring over him. D.L. Moody, great evangelist. And, and even those who followed D.L. Moody and Moody College today would have some experience with their very founder because he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He was having great revivals, feeling a lot of people were coming and a few people were getting saved. Two little old ladies were there pretty much at all the services they had. And they, after every service they come up and say, Brother Moody, we've been praying for you that you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he said, well, look, I'm, I'm a Christian. I already have the Holy Spirit. So, he, you know, he said, well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. Went on. And they continued to do that. And he said, walking down the street one day and he's walking down through there and everything and something happened to him and the very power of God fell over him. And he said, I had to get aside. I had to find me a place to get still. He said, I thought I was going to die. The power of God was so awesome in his life. He went from a handful of people and dozens of people coming to Christ to hundreds and even thousands of people coming to Christ immediately after that. Why? The power and the work of the Holy Spirit. Would you like to see increase? Yes. Man, would you like to see more power in your life? Yes. Would you like to have a greater uh, ability within you to, to love and to care and to minister to people because of the fullness of the Spirit in you? Would you like to have some of these supernatural gifts of the Spirit operative and working in your life? Then simply receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Be all in. And I want us as a church to be all in. I'm not talking about a denomination, Pentecostal or non-Pentecostal, charismatic. Non I'm not talking about it. I don't care about labels. I'm talking about people that love Jesus with all their heart and people that says, come Holy Spirit, I want your fullness in my life and I want it every day of my life in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. I don't know how to teach it any clearer than that. I've been teaching the same thing for nearly 50 years. It hadn't changed. And I believe it, and I still believe it to be the truth.